Hello and welcome to Be The Wolf. I am your host, Jenea Barnes. Many people struggle to be the fullest, biggest, truest versions of themselves. They bend to fit into other people's ideals of who and what they should be. They tame their brilliance to avoid judgment and gain approval. A long time ago, people attempted to tame the wilderness of Yellowstone National Park by eradicating predators. Taming the wilderness collapsed the ecosystem. But there's hope. In the mid-90s, 41 wolves were introduced into the park and with this, the ecosystem replenished itself and flourished. The wolves did nothing but be exactly who they are meant to be and do what they were born to do. So I say to you, be the wolf. Hello, hello everybody and welcome to this episode of Be the Wolf. We're going to talk about overcoming obstacles, those things that show up in life and make us think like, oh God, am I supposed to be doing this? What am I going to do next? Ah, <laughs> that kind of stuff. <laughs> I'm here with Shika Kaiwar and she is a food writer and a pastry obsessor and she has quite a story. She has overcome a lot of things to be able to do what she was born to do and be the person that she is today. So tell us a little bit about what it is that you do now, and then we'll jump back to the beginning. <laughs> yes, I'm so excited. I feel like we've been talking about this podcast and it's finally here. So very excited. So let us start, I guess, with the headline that we will be on this podcast of food writer and pastry obsessor, which is the most accurate term. So I am a freelance writer. I write about food, especially pastry for my own newsletter, as well as some publications in the US and now in London, where I live. And the pastry obsessor, we'll get to that at the beginning of the story. So that is what I do. And I'm also a freelance marketing consultant because we all have bills to pay. <laughs> now, really quick, though, do you like marketing? I do. You know, it's funny because I went to college for psychology and business. This was a long time ago. And that actually is marketing. But there just wasn't a marketing degree back then. And I didn't know that that was going to be something that I pursued later on. So I think it really does align with stuff that I'm naturally interested in of, you know, how are people thinking? Why are people thinking? And I think a lot of that is how I'm thinking and why am I thinking the way I am and how can I make that better for myself? Yeah, it's interesting. Marketing, copywriting specifically was the thing I hated the most in my business. I was like, <laughs> I don't like this. I'm not good at it. I can't, I don't understand how to make it work. And I've, I've been a writer for a long time, just like you. And so it's a different mindset you've got to get into when you're writing marketing and you're thinking about marketing. It's pretty cool. Totally, totally. There's so many levels to writing, I think, that we don't realize. Totally. And now I love it. <laughs> it's like, oh, now that I finally figured out how. Yeah. And that's kind of funny because that's how so much about how 
we operate, right? Once you finally figure out how you like it. But when we're in this place of, I don't know how, I don't know what I'm going to do. And you definitely had some points in your life where you're like, oh goodness, I don't know what I'm going to do. Yes. Yes. But let's, let's start at the beginning. So you, your parents immigrated here Yes. And they went through a tumultuous divorce, correct? That's correct. Yeah. So they came here from India. I'm Indian American. And I popped out a year later. And when I was 12, they decided to get a formal divorce. But this had been many years coming. So there was, when it was not fun being at home for me and my younger brother. There was a lot of fighting, et cetera. So in a way, having a divorce was a relief because you know, you'd know think that that would be an end to this kind of back and forth that was happening. Unfortunately, it was a very long divorce that involved court dates and money issues and me also coming in. So it really, I think, affected the whole family for many years and, and even now where before we were chatting, I actually wasn't married yet. And I got married as of a couple months ago. And even thinking about that, right, of, oh, are my divorced parents who really don't like each other? How are they going to interact at this wedding? How do we arrange tables? So it's something that's been with me my whole life, essentially. Yeah, it's big. And I think a lot of people can relate to growing up with parents with tumultuous relationships. And of course, as the child, you don't understand that it has nothing to do with you. Right. And so many kids just take it on as all their fault. And it creates a lot of stuff that they have to work through later. But like many people, you figured out some coping mechanisms early on. And some kids dive into not so great coping mechanisms and found something else that yes so there were two related coping mechanisms both around food which i think i i did back at that time so one was starting to work in a restaurant which i did right after my parents divorce i had obviously no job experience but i walked into a california pizza kitchen at the mall which i think anyone in the early 2000s has been to one and asked for a job and they gave me one hosting at the front desk. So I started doing that as a way to not be at home and also earn money. So with that, instead of asking my parents for money while they were having their issues, I could be self-sustaining. And the second piece of that was starting to cook actually at home for my dad, because when my parents split up, my dad did not know how to cook. So it always been kind of a traditional family, nuclear family where the wife or the woman cooked and he had no idea. So it became this thing that nobody asked me to do. You always wonder like why you started doing that. It wasn't like he told me to cook. I think I just saw it as something that needed to be done. And so I started just doing that whenever we, you know, we were with him for custody. It would be, I would cut out recipes from the San Francisco Chronicle food section and make them and glue them into a notebook when I was done. And that was really my first taste of cooking and kind of getting into this, what would really become a love of mine for the rest of my life. 
And the really cool thing is a lot of people, we do things to cope or to become more independent, right? That's such a be the wolf quality, becoming independent, yes. figuring out how to do it on your own. And a lot of these coping mechanisms become our superpowers. Yes. And the coolest thing when you heal from all the stuff you get to keep the superpowers, people. So a lot of times people are like, oh no, well, if I get all balanced inside, will I lose my ability to be so strong at this one thing? Yeah, <laughs> I'm not resilient anymore, but you don't, you don't lose that. No, you don't. You always have it there at your capacity. It's like the bigger your range has been, you always have access to the full range. And when you heal the stuff that makes part of that range smaller, you still can access the whole range, which is really cool. And some people figure out things that are not so great for their coping mechanisms and other people yes. figure out things that are good. And so you found a job. I did the same thing. I needed to get out of my house. I needed to make yeah. money. I was like, I need to become self-sufficient. I need to not yes. have to deal with their stuff. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. Exactly. So getting involved in the restaurant industry, which is yes. a slippery slope for some people, but there is so much goodness in there. And practicing, learning how to cook. And yes. what did you discover? You did something, again, the, coming into those be the wolf qualities, you started something. Yeah. So, you know, I was working in a restaurant. I was cooking at home. At some point, I thought that maybe I could do this as a real thing. And so I decided to instead of working what we call front of the house, right, as a server, someone at the front, working back at the house as a professional cook. And again, I had no professional cooking experience. So I remember back then, this was before I think even LinkedIn or any of these things existed. I just researched menus of restaurants where I liked what the desserts were. And I made a list and I found out what their emails were and I just emailed them. And on weekends, I would go in and just show up and ask for a job. And it was, you look back and you think that's an insane thing because now there's so much process around asking right. for something. You have to send a re LinkedIn request and the resume and this, that. I had none of those things. I think I showed up and I said, I'll do whatever you want and I can do it. And I think that quality people saw and led me to get my first restaurant job working in pastry at a well-known restaurant in San Francisco. And that kind of kicked off this career that I did have for several years where I was able to work in the pastry field doing this thing that I really loved. Also, while going to college full-time, while trying to do the normal post-high school life that everyone had, which was a, also a crazy time in itself. <laughs> so when you were still in high school, though, you started a pastry club. What was it about pastry that really drew you? You know, there's so much different kinds of cooking, so much different kinds of food. What is it about pastry that really spoke to you? Yeah, I think it was a couple of things at that time. One, it was just so different than anything 
that I normally ate, right? Like my mom cooked food. Mm. My dad did learn how to cook, but no one, none of them were really doing desserts, right? Desserts was a luxury thing. So they, they kind of just left me alone. And I think that kind of leaving alone was really nice because I could just escape. And I remember I would just get lost in recipes, reading them and experimenting with them and learning the rules. And I think that idea, it's funny, both my parents are scientists. So that idea of mm-hmm. having rules and if this, then that, that is a very, that is very real in the pastry world. And I clung to that. And I think for psychoanalyzing myself, there's an element of control that comes there of knowing what you're putting in and knowing what you're getting out. So I think that was the first part. And the second part, it was, it was so much joy that I saw people had. No one gets excited mm-hmm. about a slice of pizza the way they do about a slice of cake or a cookie. Like that excitement is so much more that at least I saw at that time. And I really, you know, I just felt at that point where life at home was not fun. I was a girl. I didn't fit in in high school. I was an emo girl who wore all black and listened to death metal music. This was something that really brought joy for me and others and connected me to others at that time. And so starting starting a dessert club, which we had, was really wonderful because everyone came. Like the popular kids would come to this club, the teachers would come, and the rules are very simple. Like you had to make a dessert and bring it. And there was a theme every month. So it would be a cinnamon theme, cookie theme, whatever it was. So it's it's a low barrier to entry. And it was so fun. I think it just made me feel very connected to something bigger. Yeah. And I think as people, we are always looking for that greater connection. And I love, I always love the dichotomy of things. Like when I was a photographer, I would always envision these scenes that I would want to create where it was two things that really didn't fit together. So I love that your background was like the dressing in all black and listening to death metal, but then making pastries. Yes. (laughs) And I think we all inside, right? We have that dichotomy within us. We have this light and dark, if you will, and different conflicts and different things going on. And when we can tap in to any of the things that bring us joy, I think that is magnificent. And I love love the idea. Also, when I was a bartender, it would be that same thing where it's like you saw people at their best and you saw people at their worst. But man, was it so great to see people in that celebration mode Yeah, where there's that joy and pastry and dessert always does that for sure. I can see that. Yeah. And there's just, there's a simplicity around it, I think, right? Where it's really Maybe you just need to eat a cookie and you'll just become happier. It just seems so much easier than trying to solve these hard other hard problems of life. And there's there's some beauty in that, I think. Yeah, that's true. It's 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 why some people eat too many cookies. Also true. <laughs> so was there, you know, you took steps every time you just were like. I'm going to go get a job. So you walked into the California pizza kitchen. You walked into restaurant after restaurant to try to get be let in, so to speak, to the club of the back of the house. Tell me what those are things a lot of people don't do today. And like you said, there's so much process like go doing things through via online. There's very little of this 
one-on-one -on -one direct contact that people have. And I think a lot of people today are like, oh my gosh, I could never do that. Is But that's how you had to do it when we were yeah. growing up. So yeah. what was some of the stuff that came up about trying to follow your dream, follow your dream of being able to cook and work with pastry? Yeah, I think one was looking to my mom for inspiration. So, you know, a backstory was when they came to the U.S., it was for pursuing higher education for my father's career. So my mom actually left everything and started over by coming to the U.S. So I really saw that same mentality that she had of looking for a job. She didn't even have a visa. She wasn't allowed to work when she moved here, but like finding a job that would pay her under the table, doing always hustling. And then when we were financially strapped after the divorce, you know, she went over and got a job at Starbucks where she would work five o'clock AM shifts and then go to her full-time job as a scientist and then come home and make dinner for us when we were staying with her. So I think there was a bit of that, that at that time I didn't think about it, but again, looking back, that was a bit of modeling that I did of seeing, you know, like Life is hard, but you can do it. You just have to really try and not take no for an answer. And I think something that I think about now is there is a beauty and maybe not knowing what the right answer is, because then you can do whatever you want. Like, I didn't know what the right way to apply for a job was. So I just thought that asking for one and walking in was the right way to do it. And that's something I take with me even now is if I don't know the answer, then even it's not such a bad thing. Oh, that is so good because that people get so hung up on, I don't know how, and that incapacitates them from taking a step. And I love that you had a model of somebody that just stepped out and did it. And when you see that stuff growing up, you don't realize how much it, of an impact it has versus if you had like a mom that was like, Oh, I just started over. I can't do anything. Like, you might be a totally different person. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's only right when you look back and you connect the dots of how right. that has come to be. Right. So now, because a lot of people didn't have a model of somebody that would just go out and try. And I think that's a big thing. Just go out and try. Like, you never know what's going to potentially be, you know, you make 100 phone calls, you walk into 100 different places, you might get an opportunity. You never know. And so many people stop themselves before they start. Do you have any advice that you would tell somebody about, like, just walking in and giving it a shot? Yeah, I think it's definitely, you know, what I said is, you don't know what you don't know. And if you, re if you look at a lot of famous celebrities, a lot of them did the same thing. You'd see about actors and actresses. They didn't know either. You, don't, you have to be pushing. You just don't know what you'll find. And I think the second piece that I always give is do find your people to confide in. And it could just be one person. But I think having someone, you know, whether it's your mom, if it's a friend, if it's someone you work with, where you can be honest and open about how you're feeling can go a long way. I didn't mention this earlier, but I think the thing that had helped me a lot was also having a therapist. I actually had a therapist assigned by the court during the divorce process, which at the time I thought was insane, but now was a huge gift that I was so happy to have. Having 
and that person, like I said, I was this weird high school kid <laughs> wearing black all the time. But I did have this outlet, a place to kind of where I could be honest and vulnerable. So I didn't feel like it was all on me all the time. Yeah, I think that's a big deal having somebody that you can share your feelings with. And I know for me, one of the things that I loved about bartending way back when was when I would start to be coming up with ideas or thinking about things or have something that maybe I wanted to try, having those conversations where you can talk it out helps you figure it out in your head. And so having a person to confide in or a therapist or whatever it may be, when you get to say the things out loud, you hear them in a different way and it helps you process and figure out what is the best move for you. Because it's not the best move, especially if you've got a friend that will not tell you what to do, but just listen. Yeah, you want someone who's going to, go on that adventure with you, right? And not say, don't do it, but say, okay, how are you going to do it? What about this? This, right? It helps you get out of your head a little bit while also encouraging you, which is important, I think. Yeah, that's a big thing is I think a lot of people grew up with, like, you can't do that. You need to have a fallback plan, this, that, like whatever it might be. And when you hear that over and over, it makes it really hard to pick up the pieces when an obstacle comes your way. But when you have people like, okay, well, you're going to do this. Let's figure out how. Yeah. It's not if you can do that, it's how you can do that. And I think yeah. that's a big piece for a lot yeah. of people. So if you are out there and you're looking to take a leap towards something you really want to do, it's not, you can do it. You just have to figure out how and be willing to pivot and shift as needed so you can keep going. Yeah, I think so too. And I think the last piece I'll say is it's okay not to have a five-year plan, a 10-year plan. You don't need to have thought that many steps ahead, right? Even just thinking one step, two steps ahead is completely okay. Because I think when you do think very, very far ahead, it can sometimes stop you because it just feels too big. It feels too big, a goal or an obstacle. And I always tell people when I decided to work in restaurants, there was no big plan that I had here. I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to, I want to start my own restaurant or I want to start a bakery. And there was none of that. I just knew this was something I loved to do and I wanted to see what would happen. And that what you said there is really key because- Yeah, it's great to have where you would like to be in 10 years, where you would like to be in five years. Sure, that's great. But the reality is you can't make that happen right now. You can take the little steps and you've got to be present to where you are right now to deal with the situation right now. And so when you're looking at stepping into something you love, something that you're meant to do, You've got to look at where you are right now and what's the next step, maybe two, just like you said. But if you try and step to, okay, I have to do all this. I say you're trying to build a million dollar company. Right. (laughs) You're like the people with million dollar companies do this, this, and this, and this, and this. And that's what I have to do. But the reality is you've got to build a $50,000 company first. And the people that are running $50,000 companies are not doing all that. 
yeah. got to take the step from where you are. If you try to jump over, you're just going to fall and crumble. Now, you had life throw you. You're working the back of the house. You're working as a pastry chef. And then life threw you something really big. Yeah. So I was doing all that. And around, I can't remember exactly what year, but essentially I started to become really sick. And that was playing out in a lot of ways of the biggest one being just sheer exhaustion. The only way I could describe it now is like, it was felt like it was in my bones. You know, it didn't matter how much I slept. It didn't matter how well I ate. It was just, I couldn't not get out of bed. And as we've heard now, it was a hectic schedule. I was working in a restaurant. I was working in fine dining at that point, a Michelin star restaurant, 10 to 12 hour shifts. I was a full-time student doing a double major. I was dating someone. There was a lot. So it's hard. It took a while for it to catch up to me because I just thought that this was, I was going to feel tired. But then when, when I was not able to go to my restaurant job, I was like, okay, something this is something that I love doing. And if I'm physically incapable, something is up. And I ended up going to the doctor getting tests and got diagnosed with chronic iron, deficient, iron deficiency anemia. And this is actually a common condition in South Asian women. So for my South Asian women who do feel tired, please go get checked. Yes. But yeah, it, it happened a lot with pregnant women, but I didn't have a history of it in my family. So it had never come up as being that whatever, something that would ever happen. But essentially the doctor's recommendation was like, you can keep doing what you're doing, but this is not going to work. Like you are going to get seriously hurt and you need to make a change in your lifestyle, which put me in a really tough position because what he was, they were saying was that I needed to leave restaurants at that time. Oh, so here's this thing that you love that like with all that crazy chaos and full-time school schedule, somebody you're dating, the thing that you can't do anymore is the thing that brings you the most joy. Yeah. What came up for you? What did you feel? What I imagine, I can only imagine where you went, but where did you go like mentally there? Yeah, there was a lot of denial at the beginning. I, again, used my mother as a role model of she was working two jobs, three jobs, and she can do it. She's much older and all this. I should be able to do this, right? This idea of should, I think, right. was a word that came up a lot. And then it was a lot of reflection. I think talking to that point, I did my friend network, my, those community that I had built, and even the people at work, right? If anyone's worked at restaurants, you know that the people you work with at a restaurant or a bar are like your best friends because you see them at all hours of the day. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I think everyone was being very kind, but firm that this is not, you need to take care of yourself first, right? And that's something that it's such a good lesson that I think we all forget is like your health, you as a human being come above any job that you will ever have, even if it is your dream job. Yes, it's true. People talk about self-care, right? Self-care is the thing. Oh, you have to take care of yourself. Yeah. And back then and, it wasn't a thing, that term I don't even think existed. No, it definitely didn't exist. But what people don't realize is if they're at the point where they need self-care, they've already blown past their boundaries. 
Yeah. There's this place where your balance of how you take care of your body, your mind, your career, your family, all of those things, there's a balance and the body is always trying to seek balance. But we are in this hustle culture. A lot of us were brought up in that hustle culture and we were never taught to listen to those boundaries, listen to when our body is trying to communicate with us like, hey, something's wrong. And I love that you had your support system, your friends were like, you need to take care of yourself first. Because it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, that you had wanted to try and keep going. Oh, yeah. I was ready to keep going, right? And I think when I had, as part of this discussions that were happening at that time, right, that question came up of why. Like, why do you want to keep going? right? There's other things like food is not going anywhere. There's so many other avenues that were just starting to emerge. And I remember having this realization that I was doing it because I thought I had to, right? I joined restaurants to escape my home life. I joined to find this community to do something, get away and find some control in my life through cooking desserts 10 hours a day. But is that the reason that I have now? The reason for doing things can change and that's okay. That's what getting older, growing up, moving, whatever it means is. So I think that was what really helped me make that decision of it's time to evolve. Is that my reason for doing this is not the same that it was five, six years ago. Yeah. And I think that's that's a really important lesson because a lot of people get stuck in this. They'll do the go to college, they'll get the good job with the benefits, they'll do all of that stuff and underneath it, The reason the motivation is like they wanted to make their parents proud. They wanted to make them happy. They didn't want their parents to worry. And all of this stuff is for somebody else. And you was trying to get away from something that wasn't terrible. And a lot of people stay in that loop and they'll just keep going, keep going, keep going. It sounds like you wanted to do that. But when you realize that like you didn't have to run away from something anymore, that you got to start to look at it from a different perspective. Yeah, yeah. And I think that perspective really led me to what I'm doing now, which is writing. At that point, I had, as a fun, again, another side project, started a blog where I was documenting recipes that I made in the restaurant, was just chatting about kitchen life, food life, you know, just random. This was like 2011. You can imagine what the state of blogs were back then. And so then that was another kind of idea that clicked with me was, oh, you know, is this another way that I can use to stay connected to this food world, this pastry world, right? Like I'm already doing it. At that point, only my friends are reading it. So I was like, oh, well, they like it. That seems good enough. And if I can't work in a restaurant, I can still write about them. I can still write about this. Like I have this foundation of knowledge that I can use to keep going. And that was something that I turned my attention to after this. It was like, let me focus on my health, but I can still have this creative outlet to connect myself to the food and pastry world in a different way now. And what I love about that is that shift of still bringing in that thing that you love. So often people think, well, this is the thing that I love. So I have to do it for a living. And it has to look like this because that's how everybody else has done it before. 
Yeah. But again, going back to that thing where you said earlier, it's like you don't necessarily maybe not knowing how can be a good thing, like allowing your brain to explore different opportunities, different avenues. So here's this thing you're already doing because it's pure love and you started doing putting your energy into that. And what happened? Yeah. And then it people loved it. I, it was, it started to become really popular in San Francisco. I think by default, I started teaching myself more things on how to grow it. Right. I, I was like, what is SEO? Maybe I should learn about that and teaching myself how to get things ranked and how to format. And Instagram happened to be a new platform at that time. And I was like, oh, well, I already take photos of food on my digital camera that I upload to Facebook. <laughs> like Maybe I can just post them directly to this platform. So, you know, there was a bit of luck, of course, in having something like Instagram come around, but it ended up being such a thing that I was able to grow into a thing that I loved. And what I decided to do at that point was the tech industry was coming up and I was like, oh, I think this is marketing, what I'm doing. Like, I think I can get a job in tech if I just show people that I built this. And again, I think it's that same mentality with like, I don't actually know how to get a job in tech, but I'll just apply to some companies and show them my blog and see what happens. And one of them decided to hire me. And then I had the next step in my journey. Yes. And it really goes back to that. I don't have to have this 10-year plan. I can take this next step. What is this? Oh, SEO, that's a next step. Instagram, yeah. that's a next step. Oh, maybe I could do marketing. This And that, I think, you know, so many people get stuck on what it has to look like. And I think sometimes it's good to have those big goals because that gives you a general direction to move towards yeah. But you can't get to that big goal all at once. And when you're more open to the little things that might come along that are opportunities to grow, and I think that really what it comes down to for true fulfillment and happiness is being able to grow. And I think in the chef world, in the rest back of the house restaurant world, like you work for a restaurant in the back of the house until you have learned all that you can learn. And then you go to another one. It's right. that it's that mindset of stay here, learn, and then keep going and grow, keep going and grow, keep going and grow. And so it sounds like that's exactly what you did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And growing can be, there's so many ways to grow, right? And I think it's what you said is maybe my path was not going to be working my way up in a restaurant, but I learned so much from working in a tech company where you have resources, you have, you also have very smart people that you're surrounded by, right? And you experience work culture in a different way. You know, you experience writing, like we talked about copywriting in a different way. And those are all things that are all very valuable. If that's something you're interested in, which I was. Awesome. Awesome. And so from there, now you've, you moved to London. Yes. <laughs> and where, where are you now with everything? Yeah. So I moved here with my then fiance and now husband almost two years ago. This was an opportunity that he had to move with his work. And we didn't really know anyone here, but it just felt 
like a cool opportunity to live somewhere else for a while. So we decided to take it. I had to leave. I was working at a full-time job in tech in San Francisco and they didn't want to relocate me, which was fine. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll leave. And so since moving here, I was thinking about what I wanted my life to look like here, right? Like there's like a, a new country. There is, I, I, it was funny. I remember my mom a lot of like, you know, in a way I, I'm not starting completely over, but I left my career. I left right. my whole friends, my whole life to come start this new life, just like she did. And one thing I really wanted, I knew I really wanted was to make sure that I always have time to write. Like this was kind of my, this is my path right now. This is my way of connecting to food, connecting to pastry, connecting to the world. And, you know, I was lucky that I had this tech experience and working at these well-known companies. Maybe I can convert it into something new. And so what I've been doing here is starting, is I started a consulting business, working with small tech startups in the UK, helping them build their marketing teams out using the knowledge that I had. And again, I have not, I didn't know how consulting worked. I just said that, you know, I have these skills, like here's what I've done. I'm sure I can help you figure out what you need to do and have been lucky that I've been able to get clients. You know, I'm not, I can be financially stable doing this without working 50, 60 hours a week. And I have time to work on my, what is now a newsletter, right? Like the media shifted now into this newsletter format. So this blog has also evolved into a food, into a pastry newsletter that I write and work on my kind of freelance writing as well. So it's been intentional, but also a little bit of seeing where this goes. Yeah. And I, I hear some curiosity in there, like, oh, let's, let's see where this goes. One thing, you know, a lot of my clients, most of them are looking to transition into different careers, tried looking to find that ultimate career fulfillment. And, you know, you've done this pivot and shift yes. a number of times and you were bold and a lot of people would say brave to step in. What were, what were the fears that came up? Cause I know there had to be some. I, oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, I think it's, I still have this fear every now and then. So I don't know how much these fears necessarily go away. I think one that has been a trend is this idea of kind of labels, right? Like, am I a chef if I don't work in a restaurant? Am I a writer if I only got one article published in the last six months outside of my own publication? I think those are things that, especially in Western culture, we get really hung up on, right? Like what you need to have this output to prove that you are something, right? And mm -hmm. I think as I try to remind myself, there's I'm not over this fear that no, you can be a writer, a cook, a runner, a bartender, whatever it is you want, simply because you, you're committing time to it and you're committing to grow and learn within that space. Because I like we said, right, if you start thinking too far ahead of, oh, I need to have 10 articles published a year, I need to do this, this, and this, like what ends up happening is you don't do anything at all. And right. removing yourself from that expectation can open up a lot more for you. Yeah. That's a big one. That's super powerful. And identity, right? Who are we? Am I a Democrat? Am I a Republican? Yeah. Am I a bartender? Am I a life coach? Am I a career coach? Am I 
a woman. All these things. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And And it's interesting too, even you look at all the stuff with gender identity now, it's like, it's bringing it, it's boiling it down. Like, who am I? And is it, are you what you do? Are you what you appear to the outside world? And what I have to say to every single one of you, no matter what you think you are, you are so much more than that. Yes. And it was funny. My therapist said this to me actually just a month ago where she's, we're not human doings, we're human beings. And it doesn't matter what you do or how often you do it or how much you're doing it. Just do it. Just the fact that you want to do it is, is enough. And yes, we're not, we're living in reality and you should be thinking about, am I going to be financially stable? Like those are all very real concerns. We're not saying that it's not, but there's also be that, be curious and be open to where things can lead you to. Yeah. And also both and people are in that mindset of either or, but you can have both and, I mean, you're doing both and you're, yeah doing working as a marketing consultant and you're fulfilling your love and love of writing and pastry all of the things it's like how do you have all of the things yeah okay so tell us how to get in touch with you how to sign up for your newsletter so we can get all the pastry goods All the things. Yes. So I am still 10, 12 years later posting photos of food on my Instagram. So you can find me there. It's at Shikella Mode. Yes. It's H-I-K-H-A-L-A-M-O-D-E. So it's like Alamode, but Shikella Mode. It's a nickname I've had since college, which has now been my handles. So I'm very active on Instagram. I you know if you DM me, I will always respond. I'm there a lot. And if I'm not there, then you will find me on my newsletter, which is Shikala Mode. So the same as my Instagram, Lamode.ghost, as in G-H-O-S-T-I-O. So it's a newsletter platform, very similar to Substack, but just a different type, just a different type of thing. I'm there. I have newsletters that come out every other week about decoding identity through desserts. That's my theme. So going into, you know, different ingredients and desserts and memories and thinking about what it all means. So I'm there and you can sign up. It's free. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So if you are not driving, take the (laughs) moment right now and open up your browser and find Shikala Mode so you don't forget about it because I know yes. you're thinking about it and you want all the pastry goods. <laughs> yes. Okay. And for those of you that are looking to overcome those fears when you're talking about career transition, and of course, I do all the normal stuff too, the resume writing and prepping you for interviews. But if you're looking to create career fulfillment and you want to switch into a new career, I've got a free guide for you. It's called Five Secrets That You Need to Switch to a Great Career. And you can go to elevatefreegift.com. So again, if you have your browser open, type it in elevatefreegift.com and get that free freebie, free freebie. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> Shakala Mode and ElevateFreeGift.com. Okay. Shekha, thank you for sharing your story with us. I think it's so important for people to know that they can step through those fears. And even when life says, hey, no, you don't get to do this, that you can. You just have to rethink it and think outside the box and keep taking one step at a time. Thank you for yeah. sharing your story with us. Oh, thank you for having me. This was wonderful. Awesome. Okay, everybody, we will see you next time on Be The Wolf. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Be The Wolf. Please take a moment to rate, share, and follow this podcast so that together we can inspire others to be the wolf.